God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hope everyone had a uh, great Easter. And, uh, we're now into the uh, second Sunday. And John, before we get started, a couple of people have asked me about um, Lucy today so oh thank you uh lucy is back on the on the prayer list because um the week before easter she came down with a cold just you know just a cold but um because of all of her other issues the cold was more of a challenge than than it would be to other five month old babies and so anyway, they put her back in the NICU and they had her on a breathing tube and they had her heavily sedated because at her age she wants to fight the tube. But the tube is out now and um, the uh, Andrew jokes that uh, she's a little bit of a, of a smack baby because of the, because of the meds. But of course, you know, they they were backing off the sedation before they took the tube out, but it, you know, she's still got to work all of that out of her system. So she needs more breathing help than she would if she didn't have any of that in her system. So they've got her back on heavy oxygen, but no more breathing tube. And it was just a cold, you know. Somebody brought a cold back home to the house, and she caught it. Anyway, I, I think, you know, it was, a, it was a nervous couple of weeks. She's still in the hospital. They expect her, though, to get out in the next few days. So, thank you all. How much baby girl was she? She was 24 and a half weeks. So that's just on the very cusp of survivability. And so we, we think of her as our miracle baby, just that she's here. And she was, I think, part of... One of the things my daughter-in-law told me is that, you know, when your your baby your newborn is in the NICU, the one thing that you really look forward to is your, your goal is to get her home. Sure. And then once you get her home, you've hit that great benchmark, but that only opens up a whole new set of challenges, and so it's a little bit of a letdown. Not that you didn't know that there were going to be those challenges, but. Um, I think that probably she was doing so well that they just got a little lazy. Not lazy. They just didn't think about some things that they probably should have thought about. Like maybe her big sister needs to come out of daycare because even though she gets, you know, it's, it's great it's great for her to have interaction with the other children, but maybe right now she just, you know, that's not as important. So thank everybody for your, for your thoughts and your prayers and your concerns. Thank you for sharing with us. This week, um, we are um, continuing what we did, I guess, uh, Palm Sunday. We, uh, not every year, but most years, we'll do something related to Lent and Easter. And um, part of what we did um, Palm Sunday, uh, John talked about Lazarus and um, included a comment from Thomas and this one, I, I kind of look a, not so much at Thomas as the doubter that we talk about, but when Thomas makes a comment, it, this guy's all in. <laughs> he, 
he'd probably been good at Vegas maybe, but um, or whatever they do with that stuff on TV when they push the whole pile in. But that is Thomas. See, that's the other side that I see of Thomas. So if someone would be kind enough to read uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, which is two less verses than the reading of the gospel this morning. Thank you, Coffee. <clears throat> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where, they, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have, and yet have believed. Thank you. This um, appearance is the, on what we now call Sunday. That's the first day. This is the second time um, that Jesus would have appeared uh, on Sunday, the day of resurrection, in that earlier in the day, he joined two people who were traveling uh, back to Emmaus and was with them. And as they started to eat, uh, their eyes uh, were opened and they saw who was with them. And at that point, he disappeared. Now we have again, um, at the start here in verse 19, they are again uh, together, um, the disciples are, and that would be more probably than just uh, the 11 now. But other uh, disciples and followers, they would have been gathered together um, there was probably a lot of fear of what uh, the Jews might be doing, what their next plan was uh, to potentially stamp out anything that um, Christ had been talking about and to um, um, do away with it. They, uh, you know, there have been various groups at one time or another in Jewish-Roman history that tried to divert what the uh, church leaders had saw as um, getting away from God as they knew and worshipped. And so they were locked up. They weren't scared of the Romans. It was the Jews that they were concerned about. And then, you know, so the doors would have been locked and Jesus just appeared. He wasn't there, then he was. And he showed them his hands and um, his side and they were glad. They knew 
who he was now. And when earlier that early in the morning when the um, women had first gone to the grave and then Peter and John uh, ran to the, uh, the grave, when John looked in, he saw and he believed. But in verse 8 of chapter 20, but then in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. You know, John believed that he was gone, but the point of the risen Christ hasn't connected with him yet. But so now when they see Jesus and they know it's him because he couldn't have, you know, there wasn't a doorkeeper that John's talking about to uh, give the secret knock and come in. Jesus just appeared. And so they knew at this point that something had happened. And it's kind of, we say now, started connecting the dots. And the greeting, peace be with you. And so, you know, this is a greeting that we then see uh, a few days later when, uh, a few days, eight days, it says eight days, but that's eight days not from this first appearance in verses 19, but would be the following what we call Sunday. And that's the day of the resurrection of our Lord, and that's why in a lot of ways this is the day that we celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. And, but Sunday also is now our regular day of worship. Second Sunday in Easter. Well, I'm talking about every Sunday. Right, right. Uh, as, as opposed to the seventh day Sabbath, it's the beginning of a new day of worship that Christ is saying because he appeared. Now, he may have appeared during the week because we know over the 40 days that there were more than just the three visits or sightings or getting together with, and in fact, in 21, there's another situation where Christ appears. But, you know, whether he appeared between that Easter Sunday and today, we don't know. But, you know, here they were gathered together, and he appears. So it helps in some ways to show why we celebrate Sundays is our day of worship as opposed to the Sabbath. Now, obviously, we have the Seventh-day Adventists that stick to the Jewish tradition, but Sunday for us is the day of celebration that we celebrate and uh, have our day of worship. Now, also, you know, where was Jesus during these intervening appearances? Um, because it was after his resurrection it was 40 days before his ascension. Now, when his ministry, right before it began, where was he? He was 40 days in the desert, and he was tempted by evil spirits. Well, now, the end of his ministry here on earth is 40 days, and his probably was ministered to by angelic spirits that would have taken care of him and comforted him. I mean, he wasn't just hanging out. Yeah, but it's not the same time, that same day. But yes, we do say that. On the third day. On the third day he arose, but not on the third day he arose and he ascended. It's The two aren't connected. I'm sure they were different than Jewish. But I thought it said that the Apostles' Creed, which is what says he 
crucified, dead, and buried. Right. He descended into hell. On the third day, after the day, the day of death, he, 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 he descended into hell and he, he ascended into heaven, I thought. Right. The third day he rose again. But you, yeah, but it, the, and, the and is not connecting okay. to the third day. By the way, why do we face east when we recite that creed? It's the reason we turn toward the cross, which is facing east. For the same reason that Steve just talked about. The, the, the new Sabbath is Sunday, the sunrise. So all of these events that we're talking about today happened before the ascension. Correct. So that's why we celebrate Ascension Sunday in a few weeks. And then 10 days later, we Pentecost. So there are several more feast days if you will come. But just talking about the East Wall, this is a total aside, but if any of you have ever been to Williamsburg and been to Bruton Chapel, where the altar is is the East Wall, and it faces east. But there was one time when it faced the other direction, and they still called it the East Wall. Really? Yeah. But that's because of the way we... I went to a... Um, I was a torchbearer yesterday in a memorial service that was at Grace Woodlawn. And when they did the creed, which is the Nicene Creed, because they were doing communion as well as, the, as well as the memorial service, nobody faced the altar. And then I was thinking about it, and I realized, oh, Grace Woodlawn's layout doesn't doesn't face east. I was actually I was up in the up in the chancel uh, with my left shoulder to the altar, and I was the only one facing east <laughs> in the whole in the whole church. Uh, but well, I, 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 Kathy Jacob and I were the only two facing east. I think there's an escape clause that refers to theological east, right? right which can right. be yeah. sort of. Wherever yeah, East is right. for that church. Yeah, but and, and the uh, cathedral church in um, Boston, the altar is offset from where the the serve, where the lectern and the pulpit are. If you want to hear the absolute absurdity of facing the right direction, see the the Airbus 380 that was constructed for one of the princes of Saudi Arabia. He has a computer control system in the aircraft where the prayer desk is always facing Mecca. Mecca. <laughs> and it's controlled by the GPS system in the aircraft. You know, the, the One interesting part, part of yeah. this great material from Pitkin is it's asked which state in the U.S. is the further south, north, east, and west? The answer is that Hawaii is the further south, and Alaska is all over the other further yes. east, west, and north because yes. it's on the date line. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, back to the, back to, so, you know, it's, it's now the eighth day, he's appearing, he's with them, and as much as anything, you know, we would think, okay, the disciples on that first day would have been in Jerusalem, if you recall, celebrating the Passover in the seven days, so it would have been over the day before. So on Sunday, they could have headed to wherever. Now, Christ, when he uh, appeared to Mary that day, 
told her to go tell the disciples and he would meet them in Galilee, but they hadn't left yet. They were still there, and they lingered longer. Um, then um, we, um, we look now and just, you know, as I mentioned, they were in the same place. Here again, the doors were locked. It was, you know, still afraid of the Jews, not sure, and they probably didn't leave a whole lot during that period of time from up there because they didn't know what the Jews might be up to, the Jewish authorities. And so they were there. Now, where Thomas was in those intervening days, here again, don't know. Why was he not there the first Sunday? Don't know. He could have been in mourning. He could have been, you know, Jews may come get us, so he had his own secret safe room, so to speak, and, and was there. We don't know, but he was back with them. I have a theory about that. Okay. If we go back to chapter 11, which we read two weeks ago, where they're, they're deciding whether I mean, Jesus is telling them we need to go back to Judea because Lazarus is sick. And they don't want to go because the, the Jews in, in Judea had tried to stone Jesus. And finally, when it's clear that they are going back, Thomas speaks up and says, let us go and die with him. And then in chapter 14, that famous passage, let not your hearts be troubled, <clears throat> where he, where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thomas speaks up and says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas, in the times that he speaks up, at least in John's gospel, seems to me to be the guy who wants to and sincerely believes that they're going to be with Jesus to the end. And it may be, and here I'm just speculating, but if we read between the lines about you know, these two other quotes from Thomas, it may well be that Thomas was so crushed and grieved and disillusioned by the crucifixion when, you know, he had been, he had fixed his mind that we're all going to go down together and here his Lord was gone. And, and, and my theory is that Thomas was so completely destroyed by that that he just he couldn't grapple with the reality when they told him we've seen the risen Lord well maybe you have but I gotta see it before I'm gonna come back from my from my sackcloth and ashes and grief and disillusionment before I believe and then Steve's gonna I'm sure you're gonna say I don't want to steal anything but when he says my Lord and my God I think that's another clue Go ahead. Um, That's my theory. Well, thank you. For uh, I always appreciate it. Um, if there's any so, validity to it, there are probably 50 theologians that come up with it long before I ever did. The, um, but at some point in time, he's rejoined them. He's come back in. And, you know, the others tell him what they've seen. But he's skeptical. You know, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And this is the point where most people, we talk about a doubting Thomas, Thomas, and then it applies to anybody when you tell them a story and they just kind of look at you 
with a big glaze on their face sometimes, and they're totally dazed that you would even suggest something. But you know, he was still welcome back in. He has spoken what he is concerned about is seeing and feeling in his case physically what has happened but they welcome him back in. He's he's still one of them. It's not, well, if you're going to be that way, there's the door. They didn't do that. They accepted his, his status, so to speak, where he was in believing what they told him. And then, though, when Christ reappears, it's again the same greeting. Peace be with you. A lot of why we probably say the peace is part of the greeting each Sunday. Um, and so, you know, he, he welcomes them. And, you know, Jesus knows what Thomas has said. And, and he comes to him, um, just right to him. You know, it's probably he appears in the room and he goes straight to him. It's not he, you know, says a few things and then gets to. He goes over there. And... When this is in Psalms, but it's quoting, uh, I don't know if this is one of David's or somebody else's, but anyway, the psalmist is talking about uh, when the Israelites were in the desert and moving through, they were upset. And therefore, when God heard um, about the people wanting bread and meat and this sort of stuff for those people, Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power yet. He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat. So even though the Israelites had this doubt about who was going to take care of them, and he was angry about it, he still showed his feelings for his people. Here we have Thomas, and Jesus almost quotes him. You know, when they, Thomas first heard about it, he goes, well, I'm not going to believe unless I see the marks of the nails and place my fingers in the marks and my hand in his side. So what Jesus says to him, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your place your hand in my side. You know, he while Jesus rebukes him, he also says, Here I am. And he generally does it. And probably as much as anything, it's both a lesson to us and, and to the disciples were there at that time. Yes, Jesus rebuked them in their presence, but he did it in such a way that Thomas wasn't overly embarrassed, bolted out of the door, felt uncomfortable. Uh, We don't even, and more than likely, Thomas didn't put his finger or his hand there because in verse 29, Jesus said to him, you have believed. It doesn't say that Thomas after putting his hands in the various places, believed. Jesus just responded that he believed. Um, and, um, you know, I think we see in, in, in um, Thomas's 
response there, and I'll come to it again. The same thing as John was talking about in, um, to me, is uh, Thomas's response that it's always, I'm here. You know, Jesus, we want to do. You know, like in the story with Lazarus, we're going to go and die with him. You know, it was just, Thomas says, let's go. You know, the others are kind of sitting there wondering what's going on. And Thomas knew, all of them knew, that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus. And so by going, they would more than likely be killed with him. And so, it's come on guys, here we are, here we go, let's go, go, go. Also, in uh, verse 11, as John pointed out, when he's trying to tell him he's going to prepare a place, and Thomas wants to know, well, how do we know where the map is? You know, what do we do? He, he, we don't see Thomas in any other situation talking out except in John. In the other Gospels and in Acts, when there's a list of who the twelve were, we see his name. But in John, he's showing us that Thomas spoke out. He'd speak his mind. If he had a question, he's going to ask it. If he saw there was something that needed to be done, well, you know, let's just go with Jesus and be killed. So that's why then when we get to this response in uh, verse uh, 28, it's my Lord and my God. It's Thomas doesn't mix words. It's here where we are. And I'll come back to that in a, a second though. But in Matthew chapter 16 um, and verse um, 16, Jesus, um, in, in, in verse 14, uh, was at, starting at 13, he was asking the disciples who they thought he was. And some were saying John the Baptist, others say Elijah or Jeremiah. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's reply was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then in Matthew 27 we have another reply, and we have that of the centurion. And, you know, his response was that day, um, surely this man was the Son of God when he was right there on the cross in verse, um, chapter 27, verse 54. The centurion, who would have been the leader of the squad that would have, you know, the execution squad looks up and his response was, surely this was the Son of God. I mean, so Peter had said that to Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of God, the centurion who wasn't even Jewish. He probably picked up some Jewish history and thought and all that being stationed in Israel and Judea, but he wouldn't have been schooled in it, and yet he can look up and realize that what has happened has been the killing of the Son of God. 
So then when we get to the point where Thomas is making his explanation, my Lord and my God, you know, he is looking at my Lord as, you know, his foundation. In Greek, it's Adonai. And, you know, that's his master. But then he goes another step and he says, my God, you know, my prince, my judge, the deity of Christ. I mean, everybody that is talking about who he was, this is probably the highest profession of belief we have in the Bible and who Christ is. I mean, he, he doesn't mix words. You're my Lord. You're my master. But you're my God. You're my judge. He sees Jesus at this point for everything that he is. He's not, you know, when he puts his foot in the water, he puts his whole self in. And that's why to me, you know, I've said before today and before other times too, he's the guy that's all in. Once he sees, he didn't have to feel, but once he got there, he jumped in all the way. He took Christ's rebuke and then confessed everything with his whole being that he believed. And then Jesus' response to him is, have you believed because you have seen me? And then what Frank Limehouse in his sermon on uh, this topic um, several years ago, um, Frank called this the final beatitude. Because he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Which is something to all of us. Because obviously, it's by faith that you get there. Uh, Barclay, not Barclay, uh, uh, Matthew Henry, told uh, in his commentary, tells of an ancient uh, rabbi who made a comment about a uh, proselyte who was there, and he said that uh, the comment that they, through faith, believed more so than somebody that was Jewish by birth and heritage who, and he's talking about Israel as a collective group, not individuals, they were at Mount Sinai. They heard what God had to say through Moses. Yet this proselyte believed because of faith. And that's where we are. And also, when... um, Thomas makes this comment We've several weeks ago in Romans chapter 9 we're talking about and, and this is Paul obviously the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Thomas, he's believing in his heart, and he's confessing with his mouth. And, you know, the others, you know, they believed. He said uh, in verse, John did in um, 
he showed him his hands and his disciples, and they saw the Lord. You know, they believed that he had risen. You know, the question about where he was and the grave was being empty, they had been told by the two that were on the road to Emmaus because, you know, right after Christ disappeared, they turned around and headed straight back to Jerusalem. And uh, it's seven miles, and so, you know, at, at a good pace, it took them an hour and a half. Uh, up and down on dirty roads, but they didn't hold back. They went, you know, it didn't, well, we'll spend the night and get a good night's sleep and head back to Jerusalem in the morning. No, they turned around. So the disciples had heard because they came and reported the two from that were on the road to Emmaus, and now they had seen. Well, now Thomas has seen, and he confesses. He's believing in his heart, and he's saying what he believes. But then Christ gives this final beatitude and it's blessed are those who have been seen, who have not seen and yet have believed. Which... Do you think in a way that uh, maybe uh, Christ is kind of still challenging Thomas a bit with that last bit there? Because, I mean, he kind of points out, you know, he questions, have, have you believed because you have seen so he's kind of questioning Thomas. Is that the only reason? Well, is he kind of questioning his faith in terms of, you know, are you only going to believe things that you see versus during the next statement of, blessed are those who have not seen? Well, I think, you know, for the most part, if you, you know, the disciples were glad, they saw, they started understanding. And the only people that would have seen and been able to believe are those that were in Jerusalem at the time, those that uh, saw him after the crucifixion and believed. And then in the case of Paul, Paul didn't. Paul may have seen, because we know he was around in the period of the early church, because when Stephen was stoned, those that were doing the stoning put their coats at Paul's feet. And so Paul would have seen Jesus potentially, but he saw what was going on. But he had a very distinct conversation, if you will, with Christ because on on the road to Damascus when he was blinded, he cried out, uh, and Christ said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul responded, uh, I'd have to look it back up, but basically called him Lord. And so, you know, Paul, while not having seen to the extent the disciples did, he had a conversation after the fact. But those of us today, and, you know, even a hundred years later, so I think as much as, it, while, it, yes, it may be a rebuke to Thomas, I think it's more encouragement to us. Maybe a, a, a more, a, perhaps a better term might be a reproach rather than a full rebuke. You know, like, wait a minute, you know, you've just seen that airplane do three rolls in a row. How can you, you know, it, why why are you believing that it can do it rather than the people right. that just say just know that it can happen? Right. It, it may be more of a a mild reproach than a. I, I agree completely that it's, it's an encouragement to us. Yeah, I think yeah. in today's society, and, and you know, 
it's kind of human nature to I want concrete exactly. analytical mind. You know, how, how could this have happened, you know, without having, you know, almost blind faith, you know, in, in believing in that as opposed to, you know, having to rely on you know, that, that physical evidence, which it seems like Thomas had been relying on it. Kind of seemed to me like Jesus was like, Look, you know, blessed are the ones that believe without seeing. Yeah. You know, one of the other things here, too, some have questioned uh, Thomas's response about, oh, my Lord, oh, my God. It's like, you know, sometimes when you see something happening to you and you see it on um, TV and whatnot or have friends, it's like something happens and they go, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and so some have said, you know, that's what Thomas was saying. But Thomas was a Jew back in the before you know, when he was, before he was called even. And at this point in time, saying, oh my God, was a real taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, that was beyond a no-no back then. And so he would not have made this comment lightly unless he was all in. Well, he doesn't say immediately because you know the you know the judge and the final judgment. We all get judged, you know, both the the quick and the dead. But then, and then what it says about on this day you will be with me in paradise. He did say that. He did say that. Which is. I think that challenges. I think that challenges somewhat when we try to analyze it. It challenges our concept of time as opposed to God's concept. The way, the brilliant way that C.S. Lewis put it is that our concept of time is linear because we can only live the moment that we are in. We cannot see what the next moment is. But if you imagine it as a line drawn on a sheet of paper, God is above that paper looking down on it. He sees every point on the line every moment. And so... And so for Jesus to say, this day you will be with me in paradise, it was like he's saying it to every other one of us at the same moment. This day you will be with me. The moment of your death, you will be with me in paradise. Gerald Bray makes the point in his latest book, or he quotes the point, I don't know whether he makes it or quotes it. In heaven there's only today. There's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow. There's just today eternally today and that encompasses everything from beginning to end you know God doesn't see a sunrise and a sunset and go to sleep at night it's, it is it is today in heaven whatever That's a hard concept for me to get my, hand, get my head around I understand I mean I hear what you're saying well, thank y'all. Next week we'll be back in Romans. Have a great week. God bless. God bless.